Hey guys, I'm Michael Carboni and this is episode 20 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. For this one, I move away from our traditional three-topic format and I'm going to be interviewing Graham Oliphant. He's the Rugby Fest events owner and London Nines founder. I'm going to give you some golden points for the week at the end of this also and I have to say I do apologise. During the beginning of the interview, there were some technical issues on my end so I'm going to interrupt the interview from time to time just to give you a little bit of a clearer understanding of my questions. Let's cut straight to the chat. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. I come from the north of England originally, from Cambria. I actually started playing Union at school when I was 13. My first ever tackle, I broke a guy's collarbone. <laughs> nice. That was my first ever, like, like the first two minutes of first ever playing rugby. And I thought, wow, I obviously, I've got to keep going. <laughs> yeah. um, the word's out, you know, you've built a reputation straight away. <laughs> um, played at school quite a bit, played like, like rep- representative level and then went to university and st- found rugby league there. Okay. Um, and then we moved, I moved down to London at the time when the Scholars were just starting. Okay. London Scholars. So had the uh, pleasure and misfortune of meeting Hector. And then back in 95, 96, I think it was, just as they were starting. And then, yeah, I had a fantastic few years playing for them. Uh, real journey and experience. Travelling from London up to, you know, like our local derby was like whole Dockers, the three-hour drive away. <laughs> local, yeah. Um, and, you know, we, some of the stories were just fantastic from those early days. And the guy, and then I stayed and helped the club transition as their operational manager, 2003. Uh, as they moved from sort of amateur to semi-pro ranks. And now the guys are playing in a stadium with a gym. They're getting paid, play, you know. And I think just last weekend they beat Workington Town, Leon Price's team. Yeah, nice. You know? nice. So, I mean, huge, amazing journey. You know, back back when we were first playing, uh, one of the great stories, we, we had no money because we were essentially still students, even though technically we had a job. But all that meant was we had an opportunity to pay off our student loan. And we used to go to the uh, the corner shop and buy bags of flour, like yeah. bags of flour, and mark the pitch out with bags of flour before the game. Um, no way. So occasionally, the try line was like a wobbly line, <laughs> yeah. you know, depending on how much you'd had to drink the night before, and uh, you know what the weather was like. So oh, the try line started getting higher. Want to yeah. The wrong type of flour, you know. Yeah, that's a lot of flour um, too. Far out. Yeah. Whereas I guess if we tried to do that now in London and walked into a corner shop and asked for 12 bags of flour, we'd, we'd, <laughs> there'd probably be a phone call to like armed police or something. You know? So what's going on? Uh, one of these guys doing. No, 12 bags of flour and a, a can of Lucas egg, please, for the hammer. Right, and when did you move to Seattle then? So I was working for the fire service in London and, and still I'd organize, I was organising the London Nines then. We did the first one last uh, July um, <clears throat> but my partner now wife I've got to keep calling her wife now I've got to write <laughs> in my hand so I remember um, she uh, she was working for Amazon and she got an offer 
with Amazon over here in the US, in Seattle, in their headquarters. Uh, and we looked at it on balance and thought, ah, let's you know, give it a go. So I resigned from work, sold the house, sold the car, everything, shipped everything over. Um, and then we moved to Seattle about 15 months ago. Um, so I still flip between the two at the moment yeah. because I've got a lot of stuff going on in the UK. But yeah, so then what basically for the first London Nines, I ended up organising a lot of it from the other side of the, the world. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, Eight hours time difference, trying to coordinate security and volunteers and speak to people. And uh, yeah, it was pretty. I wouldn't recommend it to be quite honest. You know, if you want to write a playbook of how to run a tournament, um, these aren't things I'd recommend <laughs> for your own health and well-being. Yeah, um, what a, what a challenge! But did you have anyone on the ground in London, or was it pretty much yourself from Seattle, like coordinating everything? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, I had. Fortunately, I had some good friends back from the rugby days, and yeah. uh, there's maybe like three or four of us. Uh, and I think that's what what it comes down to. A lot of it is having the right relationships. Um, and I know this is something when I've spoke to Andy Lucas yeah. over here, and you know, giving him some help at the moment behind the scenes for the Carolina Nines. It's it's trying to just concentrate on searching out and getting the right relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what I, that's what I found now stood me in good stead for year two. Yeah, um, because we've managed to just pull out the same blueprint, contact those people that were with us, you know, vendors, partners, suppliers, and because we didn't try and you know rip them off or squeeze too much money out of them or, or miss sell things, they've all come back um, and are more than happy to join us for year two. Yeah, it awesome. Makes it a lot easier. Mate, I was going to do a bit of an intro and introduce you and all that sort of thing, but the last few minutes have been pretty solid. So I might, if you don't mind, I might just keep that. I'll do yeah, it. I'll, I'll edit an intro later on and we'll yeah. just keep rolling. What do you reckon? Yeah, just go for it. Go for it. It's funny, you know, the American connection, because I look at the stuff that um, I look at some of your promotions on Facebook and just some of the, the design work and the things that you guys are doing. It, it, two things stand out to me. It looks like you've been doing what you're doing for longer than you've been doing it. But there's also that you can tell you're living in it. I didn't know you were living in Seattle until we started speaking about um, lining up this this episode earlier in the week. But you can see that American sort of touch to yeah. all the promotion that you're doing. Um, do you think that influence has helped you? Um, yeah, no, it's definitely helped. It's opened my eyes quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so when I, I first came over, um, obviously people had been promoting rugby here and rugby's been here for a long time. Yeah. Um, I'm in Seattle now and there's a rugby union club, pretty huge community base. They've been going since 1966. Um, the professional rugby union league called the MLR, Major League Rugby, um, which I consult with and work with the Seattle team, um, they arrived last year, and now there's nine teams across North America, one yeah. of which is in Canada, in yep. the Toronto Arrows. Yep. Um, and they're really investing a huge amount of money, and it's been real, a real learning curve, kind of working with them and understanding how they engage fans. Yep. Um, so the team in Seattle have about 4,500 home fans already okay. in year two. Yeah. And and what I've learned by, by listening and looking and making plenty of mistakes myself is just how the the North American market, which is relatively new 
to rugby. And a lot of people I meet on a daily basis um, have never even heard of rugby. And these are people in their 40s and 50s. Wow. You know, when they say the usual question, oh, so what do you do? And I mentioned the word rugby. They're like, oh, I've never heard of that. What's that? <laughs> I think, really? Yeah. Where have you been? Yeah. And I think it's really important because when you're sitting in the UK or potentially even Australia, my, my family live in Perth in Australia. So oh, okay. I'm over there quite a bit. Yep. You naturally assume everybody knows. Yeah. So then it's like, well, this is the perfect mix. You know, you, you guys are used to football, American football, uh, rugby league or rugby. The oval ball is the perfect uh, sport for you to engage with. But I think the one thing people miss and they don't grasp before they come over trying to sell the product is people don't understand it. Yeah. So as soon as you hit them with the whole historical and social history of rugby league versus rugby union, they just switch off. Yeah. They're just like, I've no idea what you're talking about, my friend. Yeah. If, so what the big change in focus, and it's like a mindset shift, is now we engage people by the experience first. So we explain to them, well, you know, you like short, sharp, fast-fueled action, non-stop clock, because, of course, a lot of American sports are stop clock sports. Yeah. Um, you, you're closer to the action. It's more intimate. You've got the big hits. But instead of just short six-second plays, you've got 80 minutes of action. The ball in play, you know, 55, 60 minutes in rugby league, say. Um, and you add that then with the price point of what rugby and rugby league is in the States. You're talking around about 30 bucks yeah. rather than 100, uh, 150 maybe for hockey or football or basketball. And suddenly it's a game changer for them because once they come and see the product, they love it. And all, all along, they've not really inquired what, what it's called. And then afterwards you say, oh yeah, this is called rugby, rugby league. Um, and I think that's something important that the new clubs starting off in the States um, need to appreciate. I know this is something that people like Nate Gladden, that Andy get, um, and also obviously David Argar with the Wolfpack. Yeah. When you look at what they're promoting there, what they have as a product, and it's all about that Lamport experience. Yeah. And that's why fans come. If you actually look at a lot of their fans on the TV, most of them turn up late because they're coming straight from King Street from the bars. It's only yeah. when people score a try that they turn to look at the action. Most of them are having a fantastic time in that beer garden area and just meeting friends yeah. and socialising. And then you look at that demographic, that fan atmosphere, and then you translate that back to some clubs in the UK. And I think, you know, that's where you can add value. That's where you can transform that match day experience. Um, it's definitely, so, yeah, definitely a different culture. A big, yeah, a big challenge. And of course, you know, a North American market, they're used to, they buy merchandise like crazy. They love making noise. There's music through the game. Uh, there's lots of shouting and jeering. Uh, there's real energy. Um, and I think that's something that some clubs could learn from um, if they want to innovate, uh, you know, the whole product as well. Well, guys, I asked Graham to give us a little bit of a rundown of the London Nines and how that all works, and uh, here's what he said. It's an independent tournament, so um, I own the IP. It's trademarked, copyrighted. So the it's not actually any, any connection with the RFL, RLIF, all the other acronyms that there are in the rugby league. <laughs> um, I always keep the, the door open, so I always engage with them, and we're having a lot more discussion around this for year two now. Um, and the RF, we're now actually part of the London League weekend 
an, an initiative that with myself and uh, Hector have been thinking about for a while whilst we were the scholars because they have their Friday Night Lights project. Um, so the London Nines this year has moved to the weekend of the Challenge Cup final at Wembley. So now fans and teams coming along can enjoy three rugby league events in London, in the capital, over that one weekend. Um, That's awesome. £39, £39 per person. You can go Friday Night Lights with the Scholars, which is a great event that's growing. London, uh, sorry, Wembley the next day on the Saturday. That includes your ticket to the Challenge Cup final. And then the Sunday, we've got a full day, the other side of the Jubilee line, uh, for the London Nines festival, where teams and fans can come and enter and watch. And then Monday is bank holiday, so you can make your way home. Um, (laughs) That's huge. (laughs) So that's pretty good. Um, But yeah, it's set set off as an item. The whole concept behind me doing the London Nines was to, to look at maybe a way of trying to improve on and change uh, and just upscale the way that nines used um, from guys just meeting up in a field, playing some nines, um, having a beer out of a bin of ice, uh, barbecue, and then going home. And that's, you know, maybe with a bit of karaoke thrown in. So I thought, well, look, yeah. there's a lot of festivals going on now, and Sevens is of the obvious comparison, which at both a, a high level is extremely well. We've just had... Uh, the Vegas Sevens recently over here. Uh, they just had the Hong Kong Sevens, which you look at some of the footage from that, and it just looks unbelievable. Um, but at an amateur level, there's there's dozens and dozens of um, events that happen all through, particularly the UK um, and Europe when it comes to things. Yet Nines is left wanting. And I think Nines is just, and me and Steve would have this conversation all the time, it's, it's kind of been left in the dusty drawer at the back of, uh, you know, the RFL. Well, while we've mentioned Steve Mascord and his love for the Nines format, it's a good time to mention our Mascord Browns discount code. So use Kangaroo Court, that's Kangaroo, C-A-U-G-H-T, for 10% off at mascordbrowns.com and mascordbrowns.com.au. Back to the interview. Yeah, I think so. And he's really passionate about it. And he's been, you know, banging the drum for Nines for quite a while now. Um and, and with the NRL sort of kick-starting nines again, uh, hopefully that's sparked um, other organisations to take another look at it all and see the potential. Um, so I think you've got, a, you've got a couple of areas that are key for the nines. You've got one, we've got a lot of uh, emerging nations and teams, national teams, that, let's face it, struggle to get 13 players on a pitch. Um, yeah. Or if you, you know, you happen to be in, I'm not going to mention any one country because... I'll get pilloried on social media again. But <laughs> you've got a number of, say, uh, nations who, if you've got a pair of boots, uh, normally size nine, then you can get in a national team if you turn up. Um, and games are cancelled partly because referees don't turn up, but partly because they haven't got enough numbers to field a side. You know, so I think you've got to take a look at yourself and say, well, look, maybe nines is the answer in a development format to bring these teams together, to give people game time, to then develop up 13s. So it's not trying to replace 13s in the same way that 7s isn't trying to replace 15s. You know, if anything, it's going off on its own trajectory. But what it does is bring a huge amount of interest and eyeballs to the sport, bring in new players to transition in. And believe it or not, it's actually fun. (laughs) 
You know, yeah, yeah. and that's what new people to the sport, being them fans or players, are looking for. They they want to engage. It want to be fun. You know. So anyway, we're having to play with it. So we'll see what happens again this year. But the focus in year two is to to bring in more teams from overseas, from outside the UK, and make it a real epicenter uh, for nines action uh, for year two. Here I asked Graham how many teams we can expect at the London Nines in 2019. Um, I think uh, I've signed up. I think we've got 13 um, paid. But then we've got another dozen at the moment that are just working out the finances, gathering the players together. So by the end of April, we should be uh, up to a healthy number of 20, um, yep. which is good. That's nice on course. Um, and then we'll pick up a few more. This is my final interruption, guys. After this, the audio gets back on track. Uh, so just interrupting to call out Lee Addison. Uh, I know you're listening, mate, and he's the coach of the Polish Rugby League team and the owner of RugbyLeagueCoach.com. Uh, last week, you told me you wanted to put a nine side together to take part in an international tournament. Mate, this might be the one for you, so uh, have a think about it. Last time we spoke, you mentioned uh, you were looking for an Australian side to enter. You haven't heard had any anyone yet or any interest from Australia? Uh that's right, yeah. We're looking to expand it out. We're pretty well represented across Europe now. Um, we've got two teams already committed from uh, North America. Uh, yeah. But as yet, we haven't got a team from Australia or New Zealand. And I appreciate at an amateur level, it's a, you know, that's a big ask, really. Uh, last year, we had some guys come over uh, from Queensland who put together a nines team and travelled over themselves. We also had uh, players from the One Papua Warriors. In, um, oh yeah, PNG related area there, Juan Papua, and we had a team enter from Fiji as well, the Top Line Warriors. That's so, cool. <laughs> uh, it'd be fantastic to get some uh, representation from uh, the Southern Hemisphere, and potentially, you know, we get one amateur team come come together, or a group of guys and form a nines team, and essentially you represent the whole of Australia. <laughs> Yes, it's a way. big opportunity. So, yeah, that could be a big flag to wave, you know. Well, I'll put a call out because uh, we have quite a few listeners who play for amateur teams around in Queensland and New South Wales in particular. So, if anyone's out there that uh, would fancy a trip to London with the boys, then uh, put a side together. Even the girls, you have women's teams as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Put them together, and it doesn't even have to be one uh, official side. Um, I think last time it was a combination of three teams that came together uh, to form a nines team, you know, and just come over. He comes up, I was having a chat with him a few days ago, and he was talking about putting sort of around and maybe this could be one. So get in touch. But, um, mate, so you, you sort of touched on it a little bit earlier. So I guess you're coming looking at it nines from an amateur level, and we'll talk a little bit later on about how you're looking to expand that umbrella with competitions um, with, with Andy and Carolina, for example, and other places around Europe. But do you think, are, are you are you concerned at all that at some stage the NRL or the RFL or any of those other big acronyms might come in and say, hey, there's money here, um, we're going to take it over? Or, or do you think there's always going to be a place at an amateur level for, for yourself to continue to grow the sport? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, th I think it's probably two sides to it, really. Uh, to be honest, at the amateur level, it's very difficult to make money. Yeah. Um, I think from the conversations I've had with people in the Southern Hemisphere and, and UK Europe, they would be more interested in national teams 
because that's where they see the the connection and interest from broadcasters. And it's kind of who, you know, the, the tail that wags the dog. And we find it a lot in the States here with, with Rugby Union as well. Um, it's driven by broadcasters because they they offer the biggest purse, really. So yeah. for them to put the money in, they need evidence and data to show that people are watching. So therefore, you need some form of live stream. You need some form of production capacity. And I think in their, their reasoning would be at an amateur level, there's just not the interest. Yeah. Um, so I think, yes, eventually the penny will drop with the rugby league organisations that Nines is crying out to be leveraged. Yeah. You look at every other sport that I can think of, they have short form versions. And if anything now, as you look at Generation Z, I think we're in now, are we? <laughs> yeah, Z or I, think so. I think we're on Z now. So there's loads of studies out there that you can find online that show the attention span um, of the new uh, 19 to 25 year olds, which are the market that broadcasters are trying to attract. And they operate, people are used to kind of looking at different media sources, very short attention spans, and it needs to be engaging and relevant. Will people of that age group now sit down and watch 80 minutes of rugby league if they don't know about it? Probably mm. not. However, mm. they will watch festival style production um, and they will watch, you know, 20, 30 minute version um, engagement stuff online as well. Um, and of course, live streaming is, is a new platform with a very low barrier to entry. So that's something else uh, to look at. But now I think at an amateur level, um, it's not even started really properly, nines yet. Um, I mean, you look at sevens, again, I'll use that as the direct comparison. Um, nobody really has tried to monetize the sevens aspect other than independent organizers. Um, you look at how sevens is monetized from a, a national union point of view, and it's all based around national teams um, and national tournaments in a circuit. Yep. So I think that's probably where, I would, in my mind, I would see the NRL trying to um, put something together. In the UK, with the RFL and Super League and, and RLEF, IF, you know, I think they've got their own problems in-house that they're trying to reconcile right now. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that Nines is really at the forefront of their agenda, but at least because the NRL have brought the subject up, I think they're now addressing it. Well, the the NRL have obviously the Nines World Cup this year that they're sort of they're promoting and they've sort of bought the rights to uh, for this year and I believe uh, the next one as well in 2023. There's also talk about them bringing back uh, the Club Nines next year as well, which we've seen a little bit of a break from after a few successful years in Auckland. Yeah. So th I, I think they definitely I think the NRL is in a in a position now where they're just trying to build individual assets so you look at nines whether it be nationally or whether it be club you look at their their nrl competition you look at the uh, nrlw you look at state of origin you look at finals and you look at internationals and they're trying to build all of these assets which they can sort of sell off to media outlets later on down the track um and you're probably right the super league or the R, the the rlf and the the UK-based rugby league organisations really probably aren't there yet. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Nines World Cup here in Parramatta uh, later in the year. And then if Club Nines comes back, it, it could be good for you as well. If, if um, I guess if, if people down here are talking Nines and it 
just becomes a, a, a more of an issue. And I guess you've already got a foothold in certain areas, mate. I, and you, you've told me last time we spoke as well that you're you're looking to expand your Capital Nines concept around Europe and and other parts of the world. So you've obviously mentioned your you've teamed up with Andy Lucas to help out uh, with the Carolina Nines in in the USA next month. Um, can you tell us anything else about other other tournaments or other cities that you're looking to target and bring in under this umbrella? Um, yeah, for sure. So the um, yeah, I agree. I think the the NRL uh, putting together the club nines again is very good, and anything that can happen at a higher level then ultimately percolates down and generates interest. Yeah. Um, so with regard the connection with Andy and the Carolina Nines. Um, I'm providing um, some logistical and strategic advice uh, from afar, uh, and I'm on the phone with him occasionally as well. Um, basically, offering him the benefit to learn from my mistakes. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, I, I own the, the London Nines and, and it's independent, but it's very much an, I'm very much an open book, really. Um, you find if you put yourself above the parapet, you get a lot of polarized views. So some people hate me, some people like me. That's their prerogative. But what I'm trying to do is say, look, in order to, for this to progress and work, you need to speak to people, you need to form partnerships, and you need to look at ways of developing it so that it can connect as a circuit. There are a number of other smaller nines tournaments uh, that yep. operate, uh, again, in, all independent, normally run, as most things are in rugby league, by an individual uh, who's um, trying to progress and do well, but with often limited resources so i'm saying look i'm kind of thrown a lot of my life into this and last year on the verge of a breakdown trying to get the first <laughs> together and i think andy's living that same pain right now but it's about <laughs> yeah. trying to make it happen get the first year done and you can grow if you've got other activities in the same region then it makes sense to connect and if you connect the dots and create a circuit you create a bigger entity um, both in terms of the energy that that can then generate. But if you, again, are trying to make this sustainable, it has to make sense financially. And whilst it's very difficult to make a profit initially off these amateur events, if you've got three or four events that are connected in a circuit through a year, it then adds context to what you're doing in the mind of the fan, in the mind of the team. And also when you then approach a potential sponsor, you can say, well, look, it's not just a one-off random event, but this is a, a cohesive, structured umbrella tournament where we've got four events um, and teams can move from one to the other. So then there's the opportunity of a sponsor coming in for travel, a sponsor coming in for media, um, merchandise, and it's a much uh, you know, grander offering, if you like. Yep. Um, so at the moment, it's the London Nines are connected with Carolinas and, nice, and vice versa. Um, I've personally been helping out with one or two of the other European events. We're speaking to them as well. Each one has, um, you know, its own its own remit. And normally, the limitation comes from the fact that they have access to only one pitch. So uh, yep. kind of limited, you know, eight 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 to ten teams. I would say tops is probably your max limit you can do if you've got one field. Um, so that sometimes is a restriction. Um, and of course, it, you know, some people are interested. Some are quite happy with what they're doing, which is perfectly fine. And I'm not trying to say, oh, you, you've got to let me in and I'm going to take over what you're doing. Absolutely not. 
I do yep. not have enough years left in my life to have the stress of that, believe me. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm quite happy for you to completely have autonomy over it. All I'm saying is there could be smart ways of working here for everyone's benefit where we can connect it up. And you know yourself, in, we, we can be our own worst enemy sometimes in rugby league. We've got a fantastic product, but for a number of reasons, we don't often build the right relationships. And yeah. quite often we can all sit in our own little boats bobbing along. Whereas if you actually connect those boats together, you form a much bigger flotilla, which is a lot more powerful. Yeah. Um, and then you're all going in the same direction together. So, you know, I've been speaking quite a bit with the guys at the Wolfpack. I know they're very interested and very progressive in what they're doing. Um, so we're looking at developing something there. Uh, and they're very open to that as well. Um, Colin Clewag, uh, oh, yep. a man from uh, Australia, from Perth. Yep. Yep. Um, very progressive, you know, fantastic things they're doing there with Belgrade uh, Rugby League. You just look at the footprint they've got in terms of their social media, their professionalism, um, making it into the Challenge Cup this year. Yep. Uh, first round was groundbreaking stuff, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, interestingly, a little factoid of Rugby League for you. The first ever win recorded by Belgrade Rugby League on English soil was the London Nines last year. Oh, no way. So, again, you know, historic things happening there. So, yep. we're, we're working, I'm speaking quite a lot with Colin as well. and We've got um, some interesting news coming out probably next week on developments there as well. Great. Um so, yes, it's all about trying to connect, create a circuit. Once you get the circuit, that's the key to building something on an annual basis. Um, and then I used to be involved uh, and still am with uh, the parliamentary or party parliamentary group in, in London uh, on rugby league. And we once had a talk with uh, David Collier came in when he was still employed um, in the rugby league circles. And the one thing he said that sport misses out on, and especially rugby league at times, is putting context on what you're trying to do. Uh, and the classic example was the British Lions. Um, yeah. And if you say, okay, we, you know, we're going to have a tournament or we're going to have two games here and then we take them away and then we're going to do an autumn international or, or a summer tour and then take it away, the fans haven't got a clue what's going on. They're like, well, yeah. why do I want to go to this random game? I don't understand what it's for. So you've got to put things down, have it around the same date every year and just do it again and again and again. And it's almost, you know, in, in digital marketing speak, it's almost like iteration. You're trying to cultivate and grow um, that audience. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what, what we need to do now. We've got to put down roots and say, okay, this is going to happen around this time every year. This is where it's going to be. This is the plan. This is the format. Come and join us if you want to. It, it it definitely is an issue with international rugby league where you're, you're right. You know we we used to have um, kangaroo tours every four years, and we used to you know Australia would play New Zealand at a certain time, and and England would come over here and play Australia New Zealand every every other year as well. And you'd have these patterns, but they sort of disappeared, or we'd try things and stop, and because they're not quite right the first time, so we give up and. It's kind of sad to see because there's so much potential in our game, as you know, and it's such a such an amazing sport to watch, play, and all that. So I, I I understand what you're saying. It's kind of a bit. We need to build something, and what you can sort of build is something like 
the tennis circuit where you know you've got Wimbledon, you know you've got the American Open, you know you've got the French Open and you know that you've got the Australian Open uh, every year at the same time and then there's all the other little tournaments around there. So what you're saying basically is you could have under this umbrella or, or not necessarily the umbrella, it's it's all working together. You could have London, Toronto, uh, Belgrade and Carolina as as your sort of nines amateur circuit. Yeah, there's no reason yeah. why not. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. There's, there's no, in my mind, there's no hurdle to that. It's just how, you know, how much you can stretch your mind. The, yeah. you know, as you know, travel now is, is relatively cheap with enough notice. Toronto have already proven um, with their contra deal with Air Transat that fans yeah. and teams can move between the two. If you've already got a beachhead there on the east coast of Canada, North America, uh, to that UK audience and market, then it's it's familiar. You can get direct flights. It's no big deal. Yeah, it, yeah. you just need to have enough notice so you can plan. Um, and if you've already got activity happening in that city, then it's very easy to just layer on a tournament to bring more fans and teams over. Um, and the one thing which we we don't have in the UK, but was a big eye opener for me in the states, is you have a whole industry here uh, geared towards sports tourism. And um, the the individuals and the companies that operate here. So um, I go to conferences quite a bit around the states. Um, yeah, peddling my wares of rugby because no one's ever heard of me. So I'm you know like <laughs> this odd person that turns up and talks about rugby, rugby league, and rugby union because um, nobody really appreciates the difference. So it's I talk about rugby. It's a rugby ball in their eyes, um, and typically they will work with you as a rights holder to facilitate an event in a city. They will also give you assistance and introductions on um, the venue and the, the providers. And we also have something in the States related to what they call lodging tax. So typically if I bring um, teams over, say squads of 15, if it's nines um, and bring say 30 or 40 teams from outside a 50 mile radius, they will give me a kickback on every night that that individual stays in the hotel, what they call heads in beds. Okay. Typically that might be $10 a head. You times that by the amount of individual participants and fans you might have come into that event. And that's fairly substantial amount of, of money effectively that you're getting as part of that, bringing the event to that city. And they're, they're quite forward thinking because the whole premise behind it is they're bringing economic um, help economic um i forgot the words now it's too much coffee um <laughs> they're basically driving e- e- you know their, their local economy by bringing people in from outside the area to yeah. use their services such as hotels spending uh, tourist related activities restaurants and by having a sporting event there they've recognized a long time ago that that's the way to go uh, and people yeah. in the states are familiar with traveling long distances just like in the in australia as well to sporting yeah. events um, in the UK, that doesn't exist at the moment. It's probably something they need to uh, try and address. Yeah. Um, because it would, you know, it would really help uh, rights holders for sporting events um, be able to grow the event as well. It is an interesting way to look at it, and it, it is quite clever, actually. So it's like if you have two clubs playing each other, that's that's a lot less heads in beds than if you have 
49s teams flying over to to participate in the tournament so it's quite um quite forward thinking by the states um mate what about australia so you mentioned you've got family in perth any connections over here or is there anyone you're speaking to over here that could sort of get a tournament kick started i know we've got a few around cabra nines for example but are you speaking to anyone on this end of the world um, yeah, I do keep in touch with a few folks. I've got a lot of friends that live in the uh, in the Cronulla, Sydney area. Um, I come over there quite a bit and obviously hop over to Perth as well. Um, but, you know, I think it's too much of a hot potato of Australia, to be honest. Uh, the NRL, uh, very, you know, have things very much locked down. And I, yeah. I, I did look at trying to start something in Perth just because I've got a family connection there and, you know, having been there several times and, and Colin Cloegg is based there as well. Yeah. Um, of putting something together there, uh, given that there's no, you know, official franchise there with the force going now and, and they're not yet being a, an NRL side. There's a huge amount of amateur rugby players who are very good uh, that would be interested in getting involved. But, you know, the reality is, I think as soon as you did anything there, you'd just get slammed with litigation. Um, and, and this is one of the frustrations and it's quite sad really that, you know, if, if you've got individuals who are, are trying to do something relatively entrepreneurial to get something going rather than the official bodies kind of getting behind them, offering them some assistance, be that marketing or, uh, opportunities and opening doors, they'd rather close you down, um, and because they want to keep a tight grip on the IP of, of what they're trying to do. Yeah, they see so you think, as competition. Yeah, and I think that would just be the reality. So, to be honest, mate, it's, it would be a waste of energy, I think. Um, and that's why I'm just focusing on Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Also, there is the issue that you've got different playing seasons, south to north. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really reconcile with trying to marry up teams travelling at the right yeah. time of year. So, I had a good chat with uh, Chris Brown as well, on and off. Um, and, you know, he's... He's a real smart guy as well. And we were trying to look at, trying to link up because he's got his Waikiki Nines coming out shortly. Um, and I think that'd be fantastic. It's going to be really exciting because what a great place to go to, full stop. Yeah, yeah. Um, sports destination, sports tourism. This is this is the key is what we're trying to build it around. Um, so number one, do you want to go to Hawaii? Uh, yes, please. Yeah. Do you want to play rugby? Oh, yes, please. Boom, straight away. You don't need to sell it any more than that, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's why I think the Vegas 7s were so popular here in the States. Yeah. You know, Vegas 7s, do you need to put any money at all behind marketing that? No, Probably it's not. just, an, ex- kind of just an excuse to go to Vegas. what it says on the tin, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was the challenge because most teams you want to capture at the end, like an end-of-season tour or or maybe a start, of, you know, a pre-season tour. And they're the two windows, really. Um, so that was a challenge between trying to marry up a circuit-related concept from Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere. Um, however, having said that, you will we will get, again, you know, two or three teams that form up and, and join. But could we do something to, that would bridge both? Uh, I'm not sure at this stage. So I think you'll always find you'll have that, um, the, the orbit of Australia, New Zealand, uh, PNG area, uh, maybe more closer aligned to that the Asian market, um, more so than uh, Northern Hemisphere, because yeah. of the playing seasons. I think, 
Mate, I've got a completely random question to ask you. Just listening to you speak and the way you, your your mind works, and you've got a very there's a lot of smart business thinking behind what you're doing, which um, I don't see a lot of. I must be honest with you. So this is my random question. We had um, a World Cup potentially happening in the USA in 2025. Obviously, more sports uh, who were promoting that tournament or meant to promote that tournament kind of fell over. So the 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 RLIF is looking for a new a new nation to host the World Cup. But would someone like yourself be interested in putting something together for a 2025 World Cup in the USA, or is that just pie in the sky kind of stuff? Um. Yeah, that's a it's a good question. Uh, I would think that would be a very it's a very daunting task, I think, for anybody. Yeah. Um, so on the one side, opportunity, huge opportunity, huge opportunity. Um, however, to actually bring it to the fore would require a huge amount of investment as well. Um, and I and I know sort of Jason Moore and, and his team, who I think they're actually Sydney based, aren't they? Um, yeah, they, I think Jason's back in Sydney now, actually. Yeah, they, you know, I thought it was a very bold move. And I remember speaking to them at the time um, and sort of having a discussion with them and thought it was a really great idea that they were basing it in Denver. I know they took a lot of flack, um, you know, people questioning, well, why is it Denver? You know, why are you doing it there? Why not New York or Toronto or, you know, somewhere? But actually Denver is a real smart move because the uh, the Broncos, the NFL side, I've got one of the highest followings um, in the NFL as well. I think if you look on their social media, they've got like over 4 million followers, you know. So you, you imagine just getting one tweet out or one post on there related to rugby league. And mm. you know, that's a huge amount of promotion. And their focus was on winning over football fans, not targeting rugby fans. So, again, that was really good. Um, why Denver? Well, Denver's reasonably centre. It's a It's a... Um, airline hub it's easy to get to from all over North America it also is the uh, home of USA Rugby just down the road and they already have um, quite established rugby activity there they even call it Rugby Town USA so you know if that doesn't give you a clue (laughs) as to why it might be a good place you know so again it comes back to this whole concept that you know, maybe scratch a little bit deeper than just being a keyboard warrior for a lot of people and mm. do your research because you have to look at it through the eyes of people in North America and what they will engage with. Now, I think they, they got 20,000 or so people to the stadium. Yeah. My understanding is was their break-even was 30,000. Uh, so they, they made a substantial loss. Um, I think it was a great idea to have those annual events in the lead up to the 25 World Cup uh, I'm not sure if maybe some of the ground changed and shifted whilst they were doing that with assistance they thought they were going to get from various sources that didn't materialise maybe Yeah. Um, the mantle is certainly there for somebody else to pick up uh, and we're seeing now with the growth of major league rugby which is rugby union, professional in the US uh, which is growing very rapidly now Um there is also talk as well, I know, um, of activity with rugby league professional franchises launching in Ottawa, New York, a couple yep. of others mentioned as well. Um, so you're getting this 
conflagration of rugby activity at a high level, which is fantastic. Um, my concern is that you, rugby league and rugby union again are squabbling and fighting over a very big market. But at some stage, I think you need to kind of bring it together a little bit because, as, as I say again, people in North America don't understand and, to be quite honest, are not really interested in the division between rugby union and rugby league. And if you're going to propagate this new market, you have to get away from having that chip on your shoulder when you first come in. You know, it's like I try and say to students when I'm speaking at sports marketing conferences, you don't propose on the first date. You know, or if you do, yeah. you probably don't expect a yes, you know. So yeah. you've got to kind of go in there and, and offer the experience first, you know. And again, I'll come back to Toronto. Wolfpack do this extremely well. You know, they keep their message reasonably generic because they're trying to adopt and bring in a market. And their tagline is, is, is all about putting rugby balls in kids' hands, you know. So who doesn't love that as a parent, mm. as someone mm. interested in sport? If I'm a parent driving my kids across the country every other week to sporting events, um, it's a fantastic concept. I don't need to know about the social history of rugby league, not just now. Yes, it is interesting. And yes, it does align a little bit more with the football um, methodology. But I think as well, we need to be a little bit more understanding of the audience, basically. Uh, and the one thing that riles me occasionally when I hear it is, oh, well, North Americans will... Um, understand rugby league because it's it's a little bit easier to grasp. And it's like, have you ever watched a game of American football? <laughs> have you seen how complex those plays are? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sure they'll be fine. Believe me, I'm sure they'll be fine. Um, so yes, it's interesting. Um, my understanding is the 25 World Cup is unlikely to happen in North America. Mm. Um, clearly, the RLIF. Uh, you know, looking into the options right now. Um, I think if they don't do it here, having already announced they're going, going to, it would be a huge disappointment and opportunity. And, and the reality will be you then lose out ground on the growth of Major League Rugby and Rugby Union, um, especially with a, a Rugby Union World Cup happening this year. Mm. The US Sevens team doing extremely well. They're yeah. pretty much top of the world at the moment. Yep. Uh, with the strong likelihood they're going to come away with a medal from the Olympics as well. Um, now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? A lot of folks in the rugby league world would say, oh, it's really bad. But again, if you're smart, you could do this in a smart way without investing a ton of money initially, but just riding on the, curtail, the, you know, the coattails of rugby union and the success they're having. Um and just bridging in the game. So come in with tag rugby, touch rugby, um, which is essentially rugby league. Get into the schools, get going, and, and just get yourself embedded um, into the structure of the school system. Um, and then let the kids make the choice. Um, you know, and hopefully as uh, more coverage comes out with the great work that um, the Wolfpack are doing with their broadcasting deals now as well, um, mm. more and more people will now start seeing the sport on TV. Um, so, yeah, it's a challenge. And I'm not sure that you can turn it around now. In Well, let's think you must. I guess you've kind of got to make a decision in the next 12 months um, if you're going to do the World Cup in the States. 
because you need to plan, you need to secure venues, get things in place. Um, so I guess we, we should hear something soon, I would imagine. Yeah, well, as we understand it, there will be a decision this year. Um, yeah. I, I doubt it'll be the States. I think it'll come back Southern Hemisphere now. Um, but look, we we just don't know yet. But I, I, look, I think they're open to, to anything at the moment. So it just depends if if something like a more sports were to come in and say, hey, we can do this and here's the plan and this is the finance and the backing behind it, then I'm sure they'd be open to the opportunity. They know the US or North America is a massive market. Um, and it's funny, like, it's interesting what you said about the, um, the MLR and rugby union over there because a lot of rugby league people, we do see this as a threat. We say, no, no, we've got to get there first. We've got to beat rugby union to it. But But you're right, like, they don't care over there. They don't see the difference over there or they, they, they see a very small difference over there. So rugby union growing some success over there isn't necessarily a bad thing for rugby league. It might make it easier for us. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. And um, mate, your insights have been fantastic. Actually, it's good to, good to hear your way of thinking and just get, get some insight into the North American psyche as well. Yeah, you've got to remember as well that uh, professional sports in uh, in America, there, there's no club structure. Mm. So uh, football is, is like the behemoth of sports. You know, you'll never compete with that. So mm. whilst rugby, and I'll use the term generically again, whilst rugby is one of the fastest growing participation sports in the States right now, so relatively speaking, it's doing really well. Um, it kind of vies with lacrosse and soccer to some degree as well. Um, but there's big trends happening right now, which um, bode well for rugby taking off. Number one, it can offer that club structure. So all those athletes that play um, football at, at high school, college, um, once they leave, they can be like demigods playing in front of 60,000 um, of their fans. And then the next day they leave college. And if they don't make the NFL, they probably never play football again. Mm. You know, so there's a crazy stat. It's 0.09% of high school football players make the um, draft to the NFL. So that therefore leaves literally millions of well-disciplined athletes who at the age of 2021 probably never play a contact sport again. And Mm. they're now discovering rugby as a concept. And we're seeing a number of uh, great young men and women now transition to rugby and the culture of rugby as well is something that's quite unique it offers them a structure, a fraternity if you like, uh, community opportunities for work getting a house, all these things that you know, unless you make hit the big time and make the NFL, you know, that's why families take their kids to, to sporting events, want them to get sports scholarships because it's a way out of their life um, you know, it's a way to progress. Um, and this is the special source, if you like, that rugby can offer. Um, it's not just the actual game on the field. It's the whole package. Um, and that's the one thing that I see as unique over here and why it will take off and become the most popular sport in five, ten years' time. Oh, wow. Um, the, the major league rugby, are, you know, they're having their own strife. It's a big challenge. Um I know the Seattle club have uh, equity investors from Super Rugby. Some of the teams coming in on the East Coast this next year have got billionaire owners in charge of them. 
Um, so there's a huge amount of money and investment. Scotland Rugby Union have just invested in one team. Yeah, uh, I saw that. France, the French Union are investing. Uh, World Rugby uh, embedded in USA Rugby. You know, these are smart guys. They don't do it unless they can see a future. And broadcasters um, already in year two, CBS Sports, uh, are running a lot of the coverage live into people's homes. Um, some of the UK-related uh, premiership games are now shown on NBC. You know, this is huge. So now yeah. the sport is suddenly in people's living rooms. So if I was in charge of rugby league, I'd just let it happen. I'd say, okay, I'll let them spend literally millions of dollars and we'll come in and just get into the schools. We'll get the club system going. Um, we'll get women's rugby league going. And then people will see from having fun playing the sport that this is something they want to be involved with. Um, you know, so it takes time. Um, but I, I can just see it can only go one way and it's going to be successful. Um, but I think there's also fundamental questions that need to be addressed. Um, and it comes back to what I was saying earlier about everyone bobbing along in their own little boats. Yeah. It, you know, if we, if we can't even come to some agreement that England can play New Zealand in, in the States because of issues over insurance, travel, uh, Southern Hemisphere versus Northern, you know, I mean, that was all quite embarrassing. Um, and it, it comes back to the fundamental question, what drive and who is really, you know, enfranchised in the process of making rugby league a truly international sport? Or are we driven by club rugby league? And ultimately, they're the employers, I get that, of the players. Um, but at some stage, you, you've got to kind of branch out and you're losing ground and losing momentum if you don't have a permanent international game with context behind it um, because you're missing out on so many, so much audience at the moment that are ripe for this kind of sport. Um, yeah, I totally hear, man. And I think like it's taken rugby league a while, but I think things are starting to change. I know the NRL in particular, for all their flaws over the years, they're really starting to understand that there are opportunities in the Pacific in particular. And I, I believe they're not going to stop at the Pacific. Like after that, it's Asia. After that, it's America. After that, it's the world, you know. So I think it will take time. But like you say, everyone needs to sort of come together. You look at the M MLR and you mentioned, you know, French Rugby Union, Scottish Rugby Union, billionaires, et cetera, et cetera. It's all these people coming together, all the boats coming together, as you sort of said, and it's what we need in rugby league as well. And look, I think it can happen. I love your positivity, man. I think it can happen as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I hope so in our lifetime, anyway, as well, mate. Um, I've got no further questions, but um, you did tell me that you had some news that you wanted to share with us, and um, mate, the floor is yours. So uh, let us know. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, uh, I'm always trying to, as I say, we're trying to develop a connected circuit. We're trying to make the London Nines especially more uh, applicable uh, uh, as an opportunity for, for teams from overseas. Um, so I've known uh, John Dutton uh, for a little while now, a uh, real smart guy, shrewd operator, great rugby league administrator. Uh, so speaking to him on and off, and uh, what we've decided to do is so speaking of World Cups, ironically as well, 
the Rugby League World Cup 2021, obviously, is going to be in England. Yeah. Um, the RFL cut the funding for uh, rugby league development in London about 18 months, two years ago now. Um, so, again, comes back to this weird paradox of uh, how we're developing the sport. Yeah. Um, so, basically, the London Nines and the Rugby League World Cup England 2021 are now forming a partnership. Um, at the moment, um, it's going to be based on uh, marketing assistance because the World Cup tickets don't become available until next year. Yeah. Um, but essentially, London is recognised clearly as a, as a key gateway to England 2021. Uh, it will also be hosting uh, a couple of the key games at the Emirates Stadium in North London, near the Scholars, and the Copper Box Arena in the Olympic Park in East London, which is where the London Nines is based. So um, I'm working with John and the team at the uh, England 2021 now to build up the London Nines uh, to be that pipeline and opportunity for teams from anywhere in the world, essentially, to come over and showcase their wares at the London Nines. Um, we do have a, num a number of companies that I've been courting who are interested in sponsoring teams as well. Um, and again, it comes back to some of this as a little mind mindset shift again. I appreciate London's expensive um, and it's a challenging place to book a hotel. But if you're smart and you book in advance, it's pretty uh, straightforward. And if you get yourself there, you play on that stage, um, then you make yourself available to companies, to fans, to other players. Um, and there's a lot of benefit, I think, uh, from just getting there and being part of that that uh, that event. Um, so, yes, it's quite exciting. So, literally, we've got some uh, stuff going out uh, today and tomorrow in Americas and uh, in the UK to announce this. Um, and we're now co-branded with the World Cup. Um, so that's pretty good for an independent event to have the that's World incredible, Cup. That's incredible, man. Logo. Yeah, that's you know, huge. If you think of any other uh, sport where you can be co-branded as an independent event with the World Cup in that sport, I would say that was a pretty good uh, endorsement that you're doing something right. Um, and what we hope to do is really gather, garner that energy as we move forward next year with the tickets becoming available. And undoubtedly, there'll be some benefit to the teams and people who enter the tournament with accessing uh, World Cup tickets. And then as we wind forward another year to 2021, um, we'll look at the date of the London Nines then, and it will feature as an integral part of the activity um, of the World Cup um, in London. So that's pretty huge. And now um, I can turn around to potential investors now, speak to them. And of course, that's very attractive to them as well. Yeah, all of a sudden you have a world audience in 2021 for the London Nines. That's um, exactly. that's in, that's insane, man. And you'll definitely probably get some more teams from all over traveling to play and, and watch some, some World Cup matches. That's awesome, man. That's really good stuff. And uh, it's just great seeing all this progressive progressive work happening in London in particular man that's that's amazing I, like great work thanks for everything that you do um trying to grow the game and it's it's very intriguing man I um the I, I've I've sort of watched and listened to a few things that you've done and said over the last year or so 
And I've always thought, you know, is this guy a, a, a league man or a, or a union man or is he both? I, I didn't quite understand it. But speaking to you tonight, I get it. Um, it makes a lot of sense from from the perspective that you're coming from, man. And I, um, it's good to hear different perspectives. And, um, you know, it's how, you know, together we can sort of grow this great game of ours, man. And I, I really ap- appreciate your time. So thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. No worries. It's all good. We'll see where the journey goes. But uh, yeah. it's, it's an open door. And if anybody wants to jump on the train and get involved and see where it goes, uh, they're welcome to get in touch. Well, mate, if anyone does want to get in touch with you, what are the best ways to do that? Uh, yeah, probably drop me an email, I think is the simplest thing, because I move around quite a lot. Um, so graham at rugbyfestevents.com. Uh, just drop me an email or hit me up on Facebook or something. And um, let me know, you know, as I say, if you're looking for sponsorship, we, we've recently just uh, sponsored the Wales Origin Rugby League side. Oh, great. Um, they're bringing some teams. I'm speaking to a couple of European teams about sponsoring them. So um, I'm not... I'm were, you not speaking to, um, were you speaking to Billy from... Uh, Billy Forrester? From, yeah, from the, the Welsh Mighty Ducks and North, North Wales Origin. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a top bloke. I've been speaking to him the last couple of weeks too. Good guy. Yeah, he's doing some great stuff there. And, you know, talk about an area rich in rugby. What You know, what a rich seam, if you like, using a coal mining term there. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, yeah. it's just like a hotbed of, of perfect young men and women who are very good. They love a party. Come over, have fun, spend the weekend in London, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome, man. Well, and, and my advice to anyone that wants to get in touch, uh, stick to the one channel. So I know you and I, mate, we're talking on Twitter, on Facebook, on email, trying to get this interview or this conversation organised. And uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But we got here, man. And uh, I really appreciate your time. No, it's all good. It's all good. It's good fun. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Graham. I certainly did. It was a little bit different, but uh, some really interesting insights and perspective. Guys, it's time for Golden Points and straight to North America. So the biggest story this week, and I'm sure you've already heard this one, but the RFL clubs have agreed in principle to allowing cl- uh, clubs from New York City and Ottawa into the English Rugby League structure. It's now up to the RFL themselves to make a decision. It's time for some due diligence, and uh, we really look forward to hearing all about this one. Golden Point and in the Middle East Africa region. So as we look forward to the 2019 MEA Championship in Nigeria, four nations have already placed bids for the 2020 tournament. So they are newcomers Burundi, Lebanon, South Africa, and once again Nigeria. I'm absolutely loving watching the game grow in this region and uh, can't wait to see what happens next. Golden Point over to the UK. And it was reported last week that attendances in the championship division are up a whopping 52%. So this comes off the back of inclusion of some well-supported traditional clubs in Widnes and Bradford, but also the Toulouse v Toronto match, which uh, attracted over 6K fans. Now, keep in mind, we still need to see Toronto playing home games at Lamport Stadium, which hasn't happened yet, so that could give us another boost. And I must say, I've really enjoyed the championship. I was just saying to Jake the other day, probably enjoyed the championship more than, than Super League and NRL, but that's just me. I'm a little bit crazy like that. <laughs> Guys, Golden Points and uh, the Indian Jungle Cats have named their first ever squad made up of heritage players from Australia and New Zealand and their fullback and captain, uh, I'm going to pronounce this one incorrectly, but San, San Yate Chow 
Child Hurry uh, from the USARL side, the Brooklyn Kings. Really sorry about pronouncing that incorrectly, but uh, he will captain the side and the team will face Colombia on July 14 at WJ Scott Park in Brisbane. So if you're out there, make sure you, you check that one out. Guys, Golden Point over to the NRL and uh, congratulations to Cam Smith. He last week became the highest point scorer in NRL history uh, with 2,420 points. He surpasses legendary Bulldog and Lebanese player Goal kicker, Hazamel Mazari. So well done, Cam Smith. Guys, golden point. And over to Cambodia. That's right, Rugby League in Cambodia. And the NRL Asia and ASEAN Rugby League have announced the launch of a rugby league competition in Cambodia. More details to come on this one. Uh, really looking forward to see what happens there. Guys, golden point. Over to the Netherlands. And the official or unofficial season kicked off last week in the Dutch Rugby League uh, with the Rotterdam Nines. Uh, our favourite Dutch side, the Amsterdam Cobras, they came in third. The winners were the RAF Regiment, who defeated the Eastern Rhinos. So they're a side from East London, actually. Uh, there was a try on the siren in that grand final uh, to take that one out. So the Dutch Rugby League competition will kick off in a little under three weeks. So looking forward to see if our Amsterdam Cobras uh, can go back-to-back. Guys, golden point over to Italy. So uh, in episode 16, we mentioned this one, uh, but it's now official. And new Italian club, the Parma Cowboys, officially born April 10, 2019. Check them out on Instagram and Facebook. They're announcing uh, players and coaches and all those sorts of things. So really exciting news for the Ducato base side. Guys, golden point in the UK. So Challenge Cup, there was an upset. Halifax, they defeated Super League side London Broncos, 24-16. Uh, Challenge Cup, good for an upset. Love seeing it. So awesome, awesome stuff. And let's see what Halifax can do in the next round when some of the bigger boys enter the competition. Uh, staying in England, so in the Super League, St Helens showed Warrington, whose boss winning convincingly 38-12 to in a top-of-the-table clash. And in the NRL next week, we look forward to a similar top-of-the-table clash between the Roosters and the Storm. Uh, my money's on the Roosters. They've been playing way too good. Uh, they're way ahead of everyone. But I've been wrong in the past, so it's going to be a close one. Uh, guys, in closing, thanks for listening. We'll be back to our regular format next episode. And just a warning, we may take a break for Easter. Uh, we'll play that by ear. I'm not too sure. We'll see how we go. But if you want more from us, we appeared once again on Canadian podcast, The Howlin' Hour. So the boys had us back. Uh, check us out on episode 12, uh, if you're keen. Remember, our theme music was written and recorded by Ricky Cancino and Ash Barco. And until next time, fuck you, Israel Folau. 